If you have a Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 6. If you don't, go ahead and throw your hand up, and we have some ushers that would love to get you one. Today, we are going to be continuing on a series out of the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we took about a month break to look at the Easter story and the events that surrounded it, but now we're going to jump right back in, and we're going to study one of the most famous, if not the most famous, teachings of Jesus, Um, and, and specifically the beginning of those teachings. You're all familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe some of you aren't. The Sermon on the Mount is a a teaching of Jesus and um, actually a a compilation of many teachings of Jesus. But in the very beginning of that, um, Jesus gives what's known to us today as the Beatitudes. And so today we are going to look at Luke's version. Matthew in his gospel records it as well. But we are going to look at Luke's version of the Beatitudes. So Luke uh, chapter 6 verse 17, this is how it's going to work. We're going to read the story. We're going to unpack what it's saying, and then we're going to take a step back, and we're going to say, what does this mean for us today, 2013? Sound good? All right. Verse 17 says, he went down with them. Jesus went down with his apostles, and he stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal regions around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and you will weep. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Easy text today, right? (laughs) Um... As you may or may not know, this is one of the most misunderstood and subsequently misinterpreted and lived out passages in all of Jesus' teaching because it is a little difficult for us to understand. You know, Jesus spoke in such a way and taught in such a way 2,000 years ago that made sense to everyone, but now we do a little bit of work to unpack exactly what he's saying. And... um, First, we need to start by defining the very first word that we see in his beatitudes or his blessings. And that word is blessed. blessed. Exactly. Blessed is the Greek word makaros. Can you say makaros? Makaros, you are now all Greek scholars, wonderful. And uh, makaros means so much more than the English term blessed. It means essentially blessings onto you, or it can be translated, God is with you. 
God's kingdom has come to you, resulting in exuberant amounts of joy and hope. It carries the definition of salvation more than just, oh, he's got good stuff. He's got favor. And so with that definition in mind, we look to the text and realize that perhaps some of our assumptions about what the Beatitudes are have been off or wrong. So how my brain works is I like eliminating all of the things that something is not, and then after I throw all of those away, I realize, okay, what do I have left? And so that's what we're going to do. Since you're stuck with me, we are going to think through the text like I think. And uh, we're going to say three things that these blessings, these beatitudes are not. First, foremost, the beatitudes are not commands. So when you read these, it is not saying be poor, be persecuted. Mourn. Does anywhere in the Bible God tell you to mourn? Usually it's the opposite. He says you have hope, you have joy, you have love, peace. So it doesn't make sense. If it isn't consistent throughout the whole thing, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Plus, they're not written like commands. If the definition is salvation to you, a proclamation, then it would make no sense if we read it like that. So one, these beatitudes, these blessings are not commands. Two, if you are taking notes, they are not a list of virtues to pursue. So... We don't read these as God wants, only blesses people who are poor. Therefore, I want to be poor. I want to pursue that virtue. That's not how it works. You know as well as I do that being poor does not necessarily equal being blessed by God or salvation coming necessarily to you if you're just poor. That doesn't make any sense. Likewise, there are many people who have money who are in the kingdom of God and who are blessing people and serving people. So it does not make sense that these would be virtues for us to pursue. So, okay, we don't read it that way. We don't read it like it's commands. We don't read it like it's virtues. How do we read it? Well, we need to stop real quickly and let's examine the people specifically that Jesus is talking to. So we're gonna unpack these blessings and these woes. Are you ready? Wow, okay, 9.30. We need to have a talk first. I need your feedback. I need some some traction, some energy here, because otherwise I'm going to fall asleep, and I need you. So um, wouldn't that be fun? You come here today, to, and I'm just sitting here. Uh, all right, okay. Um, so let's unpack what these blessings are. The first one says, blessed are you who are poor. Okay, the word here used for poor is patuke, and it's the kind of word that is, um, its definition comes by its pronunciation. So when I say patuke, what is that like? Like I'm spitting something out, exactly. So the first line is, blessed are the patuke, the ones who are spit out. The extra, the garbage, the phlegm that you don't want. God's blessing, his salvation, his kingdom has come to those people. 
the ones who are left out, the ones who are left to dry, the ones who are spit out, the ones who are left on the ground to dry up and to be forgotten about. God, Jesus comes down from the mountain and he says, blessings on the patuke, blessings on those who are poor. In Matthew's gospel, he says, blessing to those who are poor in spirit. Well, what is it? Is it poor or poor in spirit? Yes, it's both. Jesus is speaking to those who are not just spiritual zeros and have nothing to offer spiritually, but he's talking to those who are physically and materially poor. Those who have no power, no influence, nothing. Jesus says, my kingdom is come to those of you who are left out to dry. He goes on, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Who are the hungry? Um, The hungry. (laughs) The people who don't have food. The people who are starving physically. In Matthew's gospel, he says, blessings to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, whenever I read that, I instantly think of like the Billy Grahams of the day, you know, the A.W. Tozers, the, the mystic like head leaders who hunger and thirst for righteousness every day. Those are the people I think of, but that's not what Jesus is saying either. Jesus is speaking to people who have no righteousness, and because of that, they hunger and they thirst for it. They're empty. There's something in their soul that needs filling. It's like a black hole that no matter what they put into it, no matter what they look for fulfillment, they're empty. And so they hunger and they thirst for righteousness. It's the ones who are immorally bankrupt. Those are the people that Jesus says are blessed. And then he goes on to those who weep. Yes, Those of you who are sad, who are torn down, who are beaten up, who because of things that have happened to you are distressed, Jesus says, salvation has come to you, blessings to you. And then he goes on and he says, blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, insult you, reject your name as evil because of the son of man. Now, many times I read this and I think, okay, so blessed are the persecuted, right? Blessed are the Christians who live in China who are hunted down because of their faith. Or, or blessed are the pastors in Iran who are murdered because of their faith. That's t- normally what I read here. But that's not who Jesus is talking to. The people who are excluded, and he goes on to explain this. Let me read this next verse for you. It'll help you. Rejoice in that day. He's still talking to those same people. And leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. So who is Jesus talking about that is persecuting? It's the ancestors of the ancestors who abused the prophets, a.k.a. the religious people who have pushed out all of the broken people from the synagogue who have said you are too broken, you are too scarred, you've made too many mistakes, you need to go. Jesus says salvation has come to you. That is what Jesus is doing. So we have the Beatitudes. They're not commands, they're not virtues to be pursued, and thirdly, they're not a religious formula. This is what I mean. Every religion is set up like this. You have the ultimate power, up here. And then be it God, gods, 
or the gods or a state of being or money, sex, power, whatever the ultimate is in whatever religion you're talking about. It's up here, it's ultimate. And then down here, the, the next step, you have the gap, right? Whatever the separation is between the God, God and God's his holiness and then us down here. And what you have right here in any religion is a ladder, It's a ladder that helps us by what we do to climb up to God or a state of being or whatever it is. The Beatitudes are not that. We can't look at them as, in order for me to enter God's kingdom, I need to be poor. Okay, maybe that makes sense to you, but we do it every single day. Religion operates on an if-then principle. If I do blank, then God owes me blank. For example, if I tithe 10%, then I will never have a company that goes under. If I serve in kids' ministry, then my kids will turn out perfect because God owes me. You know what's dangerous about that way of thinking? Two things. 80 to 90% of you will fail. (laughs) And you will feel guilty. You will beat yourself up you will hit yourself, you'll do the penance, whatever it is, and you'll feel like, okay, it's time to climb back up the ladder, I'll get close to God, and then, oh, I do something bad and it knocks me back down. But what's worse is that 10 or 20% of you will succeed because then you become religious. Then you think that the things that you have done actually earned God's grace. You think God owes you one. So if something does happen in your life, if something is broken, you look at him and say, how could you let that happen? But see, Jesus did not show up with a ladder. He showed up with a cross. He showed up with a cross to obliterate any type of religion that thinks like that. That's why I have issue with saying Christianity, as we know it, is a religion. I don't think it is. It's a story about God who created each and every one of you. He came into the world, and he saved us, and he obliterated anything that could separate us. That is the gospel, and that's what Jesus is revealing to us in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. So he blows up, he tears away, he destroys anything that separates us from him, Which leads me to my last point uh, in this, what is the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes are the gospel. The Beatitudes are God's salvation has come to anyone who does not deserve it, who couldn't earn it. And it's why uh, Jesus goes on and gives his four woes. Now, when I hear woe, I made this joke earlier today and, and made, it made Anne laugh really hard. Um, uh, I said it reminds me of Monty Python. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then I realized I don't even know if that's in Monty Python, but it should be. Um, uh, um, That idea, woe, what does that mean? Woe means sorry to those of whom think this way. Pity on those who believe this way. And so this is what Jesus says. He says, pity to those who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. He goes on to say the same thing about those who are well-fed or who experience comfort in the here and now. And then on to those who are scoffing because they have a high position in the company and the people below them are just part-time employees, right? 
Woe to everyone who speaks well of you. Pity on you when you find your identity from the praise of other people. Now, Jesus is not saying that being rich or having comfort or enjoying the praise from other people is necessarily bad. What he's saying is his way is upside down to what the world values. Because all of those things, money, comfort, position, success, praise, the world tells you this is what's important. And if you have these things, the church often tells you this is what it means to be blessed by God. And Jesus says, no, blessings from God are a free gift to anyone, including the bankrupt, including those who are high school dropouts, flunkouts, you name it. Blessings on to you. You know, Jesus starts this teaching in the very beginning of Matthew. He starts by saying, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Do you know why he says that? Because if you were to have heard this, you would be offended. You would say, but Jesus, what about the Bible? (laughs) Because the law and the prophets to people in Jesus' day was the entire Old Testament. They would look to that and they would say, what you're saying does not feel right. What about all the religious and good things that I'm doing? And Jesus says, that, my, that what I'm teaching, my life, is not the antithesis of that. It's the fulfillment of that. And so Jesus says to the crowds, the multitudes, those in the text who were troubled by impure spirits, um, terminally ill, you name it, he says to them, my salvation, my kingdom has come to you. And then in Matthew's gospel, he does another thing that's brilliant. Turn with me to the left in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5. At the end of Matthew's, Matthew 5, at the end of Matthew's um, teachings on the Beatitude, Jesus does something that would make you even more uncomfortable if you were the put together, you had it all together, you had the Bible college degree, if you had it all thought through, Jesus would have really made you feel uncomfortable. Jesus says to that group of people, you are the salt of the earth, But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven." Jesus sends out the patuke, right? He sends out the ones who have nothing to offer, and he says, change the world. He says, you are the salt or the flavoring of the earth. What Jesus has done in their lives is a message to every single person. And so go be salt, he says to them. He goes on and says, go be light. You are the light of the world. The imagery here is in the the first century, we didn't have cell phones, flashlights, cars, anything that had lights on them, right? So if you were traveling down a road in in the night and you were looking for safe haven, you would look to a city because the cities would be a light on a hill. 
And you would be attracted to that city. You would go to it because that's where safety and wholeness and peace was found. Jesus says to the broken, to the ex-demoniac, to the mentally unstable, he says, you are now the light of the world. People will flock to what I've done in your life for wholeness, peace, and transformation. Okay, now step back a little bit. 2013, who are the blesseds in our day? I think if Jesus would he, was here, I don't think the list in this text would be exhaustive, meaning I think that he would apply it to our day today. And so with the help of some scholars, I uh, kind of rewrote the Beatitudes for today. Now, if I get in a habit of rewriting scripture, please fire me. <laughs> um, this is not uh, me rewriting anything as much as it is me attempting to put it into today's language. These are the kind of people Jesus would say, salvation has come to you. Listen up. Blessed are the physically repulsive, those who smell bad, the twisted, misshapen, deformed, the too big, too little, too loud, the bald, the fat, the old, for they are riotlessly celebrated in the party of Jesus. God's kingdom has come to the seriously crushed ones, the flunk outs, the dropouts, the burned outs, the broke and the broken, the drug heads and the divorced, the HIV positive and the herpes ridden, the brain damaged, the incurably ill, the barren and the pregnant too many times or at the wrong time, the overemployed, the underemployed, and the unemployable. Salvation has come to you. God's joy has come to you. Blessed to the swindled, to the shoved aside and the replaced, to the parents with children living in the streets, to the children with parents dying too soon, to the lonely and the incompetent and the stupid, God's blessings have come for you, salvation for you. And to the immoral wrecks, blessings to you. Jesus' forgiveness has no limits, his grace no bounds. Blessings to the pederast, the pedophile, and the perpetrator of incest, to the worshiper of Satan, to those who robbed the aged and the weak, to the cheat and the liar, the vengeful and the adulterer. Blessed, blessed, blessed as you flee into the arms of the kingdom around us. Yeah. If you didn't hear something on that list that offended you, you probably missed the point. But Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Jesus' grace is so extended to the people that we write off every day. And he steps in to our world and he says, blessed, blessed, blessed. Who do you write off? I know my journey through this. I used to live in downtown Portland. I worked uh, right across the street from a very famous place where people dealt drugs on a regular basis. Tons of homeless people around me all the time. 
I grew numb and callous to them, and I thought they were too far. I would never articulate that, and now I am. But, <laughs> but I thought they were too far, but Jesus says my kingdom came for them. Who is it for you that you have written off because I promise the gospel goes after those people, and then those people are used to turn the world right side up? So let's step back again and think, okay, now let's think about a few things that this text has taught us, aside from what we already know. Um, First off, uh, a thought for you. The gospel starts with God's love, not his wrath. So the gospel as revealed in the Beatitudes, what is the first word spoken? Blessed. Not angry, not mad, not the tyrant with the bony finger in the sky. It's blessed. So many of us live life thinking God is mad. He's not. God loves you. If you are his kid, there's nothing he can do to be mad at you. If you are not a follower of Jesus, become one. Because this woe life that is talked about here is empty and you will never be filled by it. And Jesus offers you life. He offers you hope. He offers you love. And all you have to do is just say one simple prayer of repentance and say, God, I know who you are. I know who I am. And I know you came for people as wrecked as me. And welcome to the family of wrecked people. Let's change the world together. Secondly, The gospel is more than a change of address. It's about a whole new way of being human. If you have thought that Jesus, the whole point of the story, is to escape the fires of hell and live in an eternal cloud playing a harp for the rest of your life, you've missed it. That's not the point of the gospel. Yes, there is a permanent change of address. That's part of it. But... Jesus came to teach you the best possible way to be human. Which means, when we read the blessings and the woes, we bless those that everyone else looks down upon. And in that journey, what we find is that that is the best way to be human. That every other journey is empty. It has nothing in it. And so, if Jesus, his point is to change how you live, then all change requires loss. It's one of the reasons I hate change and love it at the same time, because sometimes I want to lose something and sometimes I don't. But change requires loss. So what needs to go in your life? What is it that you hold on to that is preventing you from experiencing the life that God has for you. I believe if you take time and you take space, I believe even in this moment, God by his spirit can speak to every one of you and show you exactly what it is that is getting in the way. He offers blessings, hope, salvation, resulting in exuberant amount of joy. Lastly, the gospel calls us to step out. 
I love that Matthew's gospel, excuse me, Matthew's account of the Beatitudes is wedged between the law and the prophet's line and you are the salt and the light of the earth. Can you imagine being that demoniac guy like Jesus says, okay, go change the world. And he's like, Jesus, I was just possessed by a demon. Are you kidding me? He's like, no, go tell everyone about me. Go tell everyone about what I've done. I think one of the greatest lies that enters the church is that ministry, whatever that term means to you, is reserved for the professional people, the ones who get the paychecks and stand up here and talk for a very long time, right? And the rest of you, you got your ticket out of hell, and now you're just going to wait as long as you can until you go to heaven when you die. (laughs) You laugh, but that's true. Many people have thought that way. And... (laughs) the gospel says step out your story what God has done in your life can be the greatest asset to changing the world start that business join that outreach try out for that team what is God leading you to do it's not enough to stand on the sidelines because we have a world that needs to hear Blessings to you who have been left out. Blessings to you who we've kicked out. Blessings onto you. God's salvation is open to you who have been ignored and abused.